Last week, uh, we looked at Jesus being rejected in Nazareth. Jesus went to his own hometown, his own little hometown, and he was rejected by the people there. They refused to give him honor. They refused to believe. And we, we went into some details last week about these people would have, would have known Jesus from childhood. They would have known Jesus from, from a young boy, and they would have watched him grow up. And if you think about that, think about Jesus being God, Jesus living that perfect, sinless life. In my mind, it was Jesus really would have stood out in this town. Because you watch the pastor's kids for a couple of minutes, and you know they have, they have struggles, and they don't always obey. They don't always do what's right. And a, a child that would always act right, always respond right, you would think would, would stand out in your mind. And this is who Jesus grew up with. And then he goes back. This is the second time going back that we looked at last week. And he was rejected by his own people. They would not believe in him as the Messiah so much that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. We saw Jesus marveling at their unbelief. So Jesus left Nazareth and he started teaching in other villages. We find that in verse number 6 of Mark 6. It says, And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So we have Jesus leaving Nazareth. We have Jesus going out to these other villages and teaching. This week we're going to look at Jesus sending out his apostles um, in groups of two to go in and spread his message throughout the land. Jesus is going to give them some special power, some special authority, and he's going to give them some very specific instructions. And interesting instructions, as, as we'll see as we look at them. But what I want to do is I want to look at the other gospel accounts that go along with this. So we're going to be doing some reading this morning, but the, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, first of all, and then we're also going to look at Luke chapter 9, and then we'll, we'll go back to Mark and read there. So Matthew 9, and we'll start in verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Then we get into chapter 10. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So we have these, these 12 that he is going to send out in groups of twos. If you jump ahead to Luke chapter 9, all these authors kind of give us a, a few more details or a few less details or a few different details. So that's why we're starting out here. If you're wondering, why is he making me turn 
all over the place today. It's because I, I want to paint this, this picture the way the gospel writers did, the way that they wrote it, because we can put these details together and we can have a, a better understanding and a better background going forward as we do, as we do study uh, in Mark. So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Then we get to Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but he shod, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not perceive you nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Let's pray together and then we'll, we'll go through these verses. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the freedom that you have blessed us with, uh, the freedom uh, to worship you freely without persecution. I thank you also for the freedom that you've offered to us through Christ, the freedom from the bondage of sin, from the curse of the law. I thank you so much for salvation. I thank you for your mercy and your grace I thank you that we can spend this time together, and I pray that you'll just work in our hearts, that you'll work in our lives, that you'll help us to see you and who you are, that we'll see how, how great and how mighty that you are, and that you will help our view of you to be, to be high like it should be. You are so worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Please work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, let's start out in verse number 7. And it says, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So Jesus sends the disciples out. I think we've covered that. We've read it in, in three different chapters of the Bible. Jesus is sending the disciples out here. 
He's doing this. It's, it's multiplying his ministry. It's not just Jesus ministering now and his disciples following him and learning. It's Jesus ministering and then his disciples, six group of his disciples of his apostles going out in groups of two, expanding his ministry. What this would also do is it would give them valuable training. Jesus had been investing in them over this th roughly three-year period, teaching them and training them. Now he says, all right, go. It's, it's wonderful. I think it's kind of Jesus to do that while he was still on earth. They got, they got a chance to do that when they could still come back to him and they could have that interaction with him of Jesus, this happened, this went on, and they could have that more training time with him. But what they'd be doing is they'd be taking the gospel message throughout. They'd be spreading the gospel message throughout Galilee. He sent them out in twos. And to me, I think this is also very kind of Jesus to do that. Because they had someone to be with them for, for support, for encouragement, uh, just to have someone there. And I love the way that, that Jesus let them minister that way. Uh, and I think about today, to, to the church, to the body of Christ, how Jesus has designed us to be there for each other, to love each other, to encourage each other, to be able to be there when times are tough. It, it's not okay, you, you're saved, now you're on your own, figure out this life. Jesus saves us and then brings us into his body, and, and he surrounds us also with, with those who do believe in him. And our proper role, our pro proper function is to minister to each other and to care for each other and to love each other. I'm just thankful for the way that God designed that. And, and I think we get to see a little, little picture of, of his kindness and his care here. Luke's account tells us in verse 2 that Jesus sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they had a specific purpose for their ministry, they, what they were doing. Jesus gave them specifics. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to preach the kingdom of God. The apostles went from village to village, publicly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And that is wonderful news. That is the greatest news. He's proclaiming, they were proclaiming the gospel that sinners could be at a right standing with God and enter into his kingdom. Look down to verse 12, because we get a picture of, of their message. And they went out and preached that men should repent. So this message has potential of not being real popular with people. Because they were called to, to, to preach the kingdom, about the kingdom of God, but a necessary component to this kingdom is, is repentance. And that's not even... Not a real popular word today still, because the idea of repent means that there's a problem and you need to turn around and head a different direction. Turning from what you're doing to something else. So their message was repentance. They urged listeners to respond in repentant faith. The message was sinners must turn from their sin and believe the gospel. They presented the need for people to recognize their hopeless spiritual condition, to cry out to God for mercy, to embrace Jesus in faith, and they would be saved. And, and when you think about that repentance, when you think about urging people 
of their, their sin problem and, and calling for this, this need to repentance. It's, it's a need that, that transcends to today. Because we, we, all have this, we all have this sin problem. This problem of sin leaving us, leaving us cursed in bondage uh, at, at not a right standing with God. And there, there's a wall there, and, and we can try as much as we can to get to God by doing good things and doing right things and doing things that we think we're supposed to do, but we can never get to God apart from Christ. And, and this message of repentance is recognizing only Christ can cover and only Christ can pay for our sins. And, and we need Christ to forgive us and cover our sins. And they're going around with this message of repentance, this need, because they have a group of people who are trusting in their law, who are trusting in their works, who are trusting in things that they have proved day and day and day again that they cannot perfectly keep. They cannot keep the law that God gave. Even the first, the first Ten Commandments they can't keep. So there's a need for repentance. And they're preaching this message of repentance. The second part of verse 7. And gave them power over unclean spirits. So Jesus gave them supernatural authority. They had authority over demons and to heal the sick. And we read about those already this morning. This authority, these miracles, were evidence that their message was true. They had a true message from God, and God gave them this authority to heal to prove that their message was true. These miracles also demonstrated the compassion and the love of God. That He, he could heal, that he, that he could care, that he, that he did prove His deity in many ways by healing people. Contrast that with the Jewish religious leaders that the people would have been used to. And we know, we've studied a lot about them throughout our studies. Uh, but I want you to consider uh, Matthew 23, verse 4. It gives you an idea of these, these religious leaders. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So the religious leaders that these people would have been used to were, were putting heavy weights and heavy burdens on these people, and, and they were giving impossible tasks, impossible things they couldn't do, but the leaders were not willing to do any of that stuff. And then Jesus comes in with, with love and compassion, and He gives a way for people to escape this, this bondage and this, the heavy weight of the burden of sin. And we see the loving kindness of Jesus. Jesus was tender, Jesus was caring, and Jesus was compassionate. The Bible describes false teachers in multiple places. And, and you can look all throughout the Bible and find these accounts of these false teachers. They're described as merciless, as brutal, as compassionless. We find them abusing people for their own gain. We find the religious leaders hating Jesus and, and wanting Jesus dead because there was a potential that they would lose the people that were locked in on them. 
Jesus was, was coming in with this different message and people were starting to believe in Jesus and these leaders don't want anything to do with this, so they try to kill the one that can offer freedom. You can see the contrast in the, the religious leaders of the day and in Jesus. Jesus and the apostles operated in such a different way than the religious leaders that these people were used to. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5-8, through 8, we have record of this. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. There's a huge contrast between those promoting Christ and the kingdom of God and, and those religious leaders who were focused on themselves and, and what people could, could do for them. Uh, the apostles were willing to sacrifice even themselves. Notice the specific instruction Jesus gave to them for this specific time that he sent them out. And, and I want to make this clear that these, these instructions from Jesus are specific to this time that he sent them out. Because we find him, him giving other instructions as he sends them out in the future. But there are interesting instructions. And commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. So pretty limited what they were, what they were going to be able to take as they went out to minister to these people. Uh, the word uh, scrip in verse 8, that they could take no scrip, I just want to define what that is. It's a leather sack used for carrying provisions. It was used to carry or to store food. So, so we get the idea there. They're not allowed to take a, a reserve of food. They usually tie this to their waist or hide it in their clothes somewhere. They were not to take that. They were not to take money. They could take one staff, one, one walking stick, or to beat off dogs that were chasing them down, which I would imagine there was some of that, or to protect themselves from different things. They could wear a pair of sandals, and they could take one coat. And that's what they were to go out with. Could you imagine that? I mean, think about that today. I'm more prepared to come to Glenwood for the day than they were allowed to be to go on this, this ministry time that they had. Jesus was training them. Jesus was teaching them here. On this ministry trip, they were forced to be entirely dependent on the Lord to provide. they would get to see God's faithfulness and see Him provide. And I think of the awareness that this, would, that this would heighten in their minds, like, okay, Jesus isn't with us. You know, He's not going to, the feeding of the 5,000, that stuff is going on. We have no reserve of food. Jesus has really been taking care of us. He's been providing for us, and now they're, they're out ministering 
with a bunch of strangers going around with no supplies and imagine their thoughts towards God and relying on Him completely because they had nowhere lined out to stay. You know, they hadn't booked a hotel. I mean, they were going out ministering where God told them to go and they had nothing but sandals, a stick, and a coat. They were, they were going out. They were going to live out the words of Christ's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse, uh, or I'll read you verse 31 through 33. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I can imagine them hearing that message and being like, that's, that's good stuff, Jesus. But now they get, they get down the road a little bit, and they're not actually standing beside Jesus. And they're out ministering to people. And maybe it comes in their mind, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And they remember the words of Christ because now it is real in their life. They are completely relying on God to take care of their needs. As they went around preaching, they could confidently depend on God to provide for them. And just thinking about that actually playing out, that's a lot of faith. I, I like having food in my truck all the time. You know, a snack just in case. <laughs> but we have these guys going out with no food in their pockets. And they're going out. That's, that's a lot of faith. They didn't, and I, as I said before, they didn't operate their whole ministry with those restrictions of what to take. It was temporary training for them. And in Luke chapter 22, I want to turn here because it's, it's pretty neat. Luke chapter 22, verse 35. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, lacked ye anything? And you see their response? And they said nothing. So down the road they could look back and, and Jesus teaching them again. And he says, before I, I told you this, did you lack anything? And their response was, we didn't lack anything. The lesson that can be learned is that ultimately the Lord can be depended on. It is the Lord that provides. And, and just in thinking of that, that thought, that, that fact is still true today that we can have confidence in God. We can trust in Him. We can depend on Him. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Amen. There is still the ability to have confident trust in God. Look at verse number 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into an house, there abide till ye depart from that place. So the idea was is that they were going to be staying in the house, the houses of people. They would go to a town, they'd find someone's house to stay in, 
and they would stay there. The inns at this time, from what I understand and what I've studied about them, were typically nasty and dangerous in those days. You kind of wanted to avoid the inns, is what I understand. And we know how nasty hotels and motels and, and inns can be today. I just want to put this in perspective. And we have washing machines and laundry detergent today. And they're still, you have to get new rooms sometimes because they don't get taken care of properly. So we have these, these the disciples who are not to stay in these types of inns. They were to stay in people's houses which was typical. Travelers would often stay in people's homes. For the disciples on this journey, once they decided to stay in a home, they were to stay there until they left town. And you say, big deal. Why? That makes sense, staying in one house until they leave town. It was interesting to me that Jesus would, would verbalize that to them, to stay there until you leave, until you leave that town. But in those times, there were false teachers that would go from house to house looking for money and taking advantage of the resources of people that would let them into their homes. So they would use their religious positions for material gains. So, so picture this going on because this is in the mind of, of the people in the towns and the villages that they would go to, of these false teachers coming in and staying here for a little bit, you know, clearing out their fridge and going to the next place, eating all their food, taking all their whatever. <laughs> We have that in the minds of, of people here, but now we have the apostles of Christ coming into town, and they're going to stay in, in one place, in one house, with the same people for, while, for while they are there. The apostles staying in one home would prevent this from happening, from them jumping from house to house, and people viewing them as they would these, these false teachers who would come in. But also, you could imagine how their ability to heal would present them opportunities to upgrade their living situation. Right? Because Jesus gave them power to heal. So they could start using this for their own benefit. You know, your house is nice, but I'm going to go to this house and see if they need any, any miracles done. And, you know, maybe I can upgrade my, upgrade my stay. You could see this, the potential for this to happen but they would not do this because Jesus told them stay in the same house, and they might not do that anyways. But I'm just trying to tell you the different possibilities for why Jesus told them to stay in one house. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Paul learned himself in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, he says, verses 11 through 13, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know uh, how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And if you remember, Jesus is training and Jesus is teaching his disciples here for their future ministry. And his instruction for them is, hey, the house you go into, stay there and be content while you're there. And don't go to another house until you leave that town or you leave that village. It's very possible Jesus was helping his disciples to understand contentment here. Uh, Matthew 10 verse 8 records for us that Jesus told the disciples not to use the power that he had given them for personal monetary gain. And think of how they could misuse that. Yeah, I'll do this for you if, if you'll pay me this much. And misusing the power that God intended for them. That power that he gave them to help people and to validate their message. And to point glory to God. Look at verse 11. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it is more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So this, this shake off the dust, interesting idea, interesting term. It was the Jewish way of expressing scorn. When travelers would leave Israel, they would leave Israel, then they would come back. They would return. They would shake the dust off their sandals as an act symbolizing that they were leaving the uncleanliness and contamination of Gentile lands behind them. So if you see that shaking off the dust, that's what that's, what that's talking about. They went somewhere that they didn't consider as clean as, as, their, as their land. They were coming in from, from pagan territory or from Gentile land. So before they walked into their land, they were going to clean the dust off their shoes, symbolizing shaking off that, that dirtiness, shaking off the protest against the pagans. Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 through 15 gives us more details on this. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus was applying the same symbolic protest to those Jews that would reject the gospel. So when his apostles, when they would be rejected somewhere, Jesus told them to leave and to shake that dust off of their shoes. And it's interesting, the, the judgment that Jesus speaks of there in verse number 11. It shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Because we understand the destruction that occurred in Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire that was rained down, the destruction that was rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And what we see here is the picture that there are eternal consequences for those who reject the gospel. And it's a sad, uh, I, don't, I can't even think of the right word to think of, to think of God's wrath being, being poured out on on the, the rejectors of his gospel. But Jesus alludes here to that rejection and the horribleness 
of the, the consequence for that rejection of the gospel. Jesus is also pointing out that the apostles would face rejection. Right? He said, when this happens, this is how you respond. He's pointing out that, that there is rejection coming. You're going to face rejection. There would be places that didn't want to hear the truth of the gospel. But if they did face rejection, they were to move on. And they had to know this was coming from what Jesus had, had told them and, and seeing Jesus even be, being rejected by his own people in his own hometown. So they knew this rejection was coming. Jesus tells them how to move on from it. Then we get to verses 12 and 13. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. The disciples respond in obedience. Jesus tells them what he wants them to do. He tells them how people are going to respond. And he tells them exactly what they can take. Pretty limited stuff. There's going to be some bad responses to them. There's going to be some rejection. But I love how verse 12 says, And they went out. They knew exactly what was coming, or pretty close to what was coming, and their response was obedience. Jesus told them to go out, and they were still obedient to go, knowing what it would be like. It wasn't glamorous, it wasn't luxurious, it wasn't easy, but they still went. In spite of the persecution they knew they would face, they obeyed, and the Lord used them in a great way. And we can see them going forward from here and doing great things. We can see them in the book of Acts. We can see the church just growing. We can see people coming to Christ. They were obedient to go out and do what God had for them. And then just one last thing I want to point out in verse 13. It says, They cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. The oil was not what was healing them. You can say, oh, they had some magic oil from God and they are rubbing it on the people and healing them. That's not what's going on here. This oil, this anointing with oil pictured God's presence. This was done, you can look back in the Old Testament. Uh, David was anointed with oil. The kings would be anointed with oil. The priests, there would be anointing going on there. The use of the oil pointed the glory back to God and off of themselves. Because think of how tempting it would have been for them to be healing people and and their confidence to be building and and the thought of themselves is, wow, these people really like me. There's people following me. I have all this power. I'm doing these great things. And their pride could start to build. But we have them using this oil to anoint these people with oil before they would heal them. And there would be the reminder of God's presence and God's power and God being the one that is doing this healing. And then the glory would be directed right back to God where all glory and all honor should go and should be headed. And then I just want to run down to verse 30 and we'll be done. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both of what they had done and what they had taught. So verse 30, we have the disciples coming back to Jesus. He sends them on this ministry, and then we have them coming back. They had food while they were gone. They had lodging while they were gone. They lived while they were gone. 
even with the limited resources they had. So we see the testimony of God providing for them and God meeting their needs on this journey because they come back to him. They were faithful to go. The disciples faithfully served and obeyed. God provided for them. The glory was pointed back to God. And I want us to to think about this morning how great God is. We see a picture of God's greatness today in the way that He is able to provide. But also I want us to see that God is worthy of faithful service. These disciples didn't serve God to earn His favor, to earn a right standing before Him. They served Him because He was worthy to be served. They were declared righteous through Jesus Christ. But they recognized God as being worthy of service and they faithfully served Him. Even at the, the cost of what, what they would face. And we understand that most of them died a, a, a death of execution or they were martyred. But they stayed faithful to God. Their high view of God Helped them understand that he is worthy. He was worthy of faithfulness. He was worthy of service. God is worthy of glory. God is worthy of honor. And God is worthy of faithful service. And you look at this story and maybe when we read it, you thought, where is this going? How are we going to learn anything, anything from this today? It's details about guys who have to go out on a ministry with no supplies. But we see God being, being faithful through it all. And we see these, these guys, even through it all, learning that God is worthy of following faithfully. Uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time we had together and that uh, we can look in your word and we can see uh, your faithfulness. We can see even these these small details that that help help us understand the power and the authority that you have, and and the glory that you are worthy of, and the praise that that you are worthy of. I pray that you'll just work in our hearts at this time. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together, if you would, and I'm going to ask Mrs. Pace.